Turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6 verse 30. What we've done is after a series on work, we've kind of been bouncing around a little bit in Mark, just highlighting a few passages. We're not going to be able to do them all because we're trying to catch up with uh, our, our other, our sister congregation in Chandler is also doing the book of Mark. And so we kind of selectively go in here for a few weeks and then we will land up and go passage by passage again. But we're going to be looking today, I couldn't pass over uh, this passage on fe- Jesus feeding the 5,000, very famous parable. And so we're going to read this together. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. So for our our ten year anniversary a couple years ago, um, Becca and I went to Hawaii. We had actually saved up for four years to go to Hawaii. That's kind of planning that we were capable of apparently. Um, and so we like put aside some money every, every month for four years, and we were just like, we're going to go to Hawaii on our 10-year anniversary. And so we got to Hawaii, we landed there, we had this you know, chunk of change that we could spend during the week. And um, you know, what are you going to do there in Hawaii? We figured, well, we've got to at least try to find a luau to go to, right? So you know, traditional Hawaiian meal, luau, they smoke the pit, uh, pig in the pit and everything. So we looked online for a traditional luau. Becca really wanted to do it. Uh, I thought, well, I can take it or leave it, but she was excited about doing it. Just kind of like when in Rome, you know, you, you got to do the things that are there. So um, we found a little place online. Um, I think it was called touristtrap.com. No, um, there was a tourist trap laid before us, and we walked right into it. Uh, and so we paid a lot of money for this, uh, this dinner. It was really expensive. And we thought, well, maybe that's just the way it is, you know. And so we, we paid this money, and we're kind of like, well, that's a lot of money for a meal, but, you know, you got to do it. So we decided to do it, we paid for it, and then we got there, and then everything was, like, terrible after that. So um, the, there was a long line to get in. Um, it, everything was really cheesy, um, and the food that we had waited for and paid so much money for 
was terrible. I mean, it was just, I'm not speaking for all luau's, I'm just saying this was not good food at all. It tasted like the worst kind of buffet you'd ever uh, been to. And so after this long waiting, it wasn't what we wanted it to be. But then we had this moment where, where we were realizing um, we've paid all this money already, and it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. And so, you know, no matter how terrible it is, we're just going to do this. Like, we're going to eat as much as we possibly can to get our money's worth. Uh, and so there's just food and drinks everywhere. And so we just were sampling all kinds of stuff. It didn't taste good. We didn't care. We were trying to, like, get, get to the value, right? Get to the value that we had already paid for and weren't getting. And what I would call that this morning is this, this kind of false abundance. It's this idea that we have, you know, so many things that are there for our filling, but none of them satisfy us. And I think this is true in a lot of areas of our life, and it was true that night. We had enough, but it wasn't enough of the right thing. It wasn't satisfying, even though it filled us. In fact, it made us sick. I mean, afterwards, we were, so, we were in so much pain because we had eaten all this terrible food, and it just wasn't a good experience, but we were trying to get, what we, we were trying to get that level of satisfaction back. And in the context of, of this passage, Jesus feeding the 5,000, most famous miracle that Jesus ever did, most likely, um, there's, there's a, a context of false abundance. So um, this is kind of my way to preach these passages, even though we're not going to preach them. The two previous passages lay the, the, the groundwork for this passage in a beautiful way. They're both about false abundance. So right before this, John the Baptist is killed. How, why is he killed? Because Herod, the puppet king of Jerusalem, the Roman, uh, who the Romans put up to rule, had this opulent party. They had this, you know, all-you-can-eat luau. Um, and he invited all these powerful people. And it's just this opulent party. And it's a really a kind of a sick story as he watches his, uh, his niece slash stepdaughter, that's a story for another day, uh, dance, and, and then it pleases him so much that he makes this promise to her that he'll do whatever she wants him to do. And she, after consulting with her mother Herodias, tells him she wants John the Baptist killed. And so Herod doesn't want to do that. And so it's just this ugly thing, this opulent party that ended in death even though it seemed like this is everything he wanted it to be, he ends up empty himself. Just before that, we have another passage where Jesus sends out the disciples to do ministry, to heal people, to, um, to cast out demons. And so he sends them out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they are out doing this nonstop. And that's actually, when we come back to our passage, we, this is where the story picks up. Because they come back to Jesus and they're exhausted. They've been working and working and working, and there's so much going on that they can't even eat. And so they're exhausted by good things. They have an abundance of good things. They have a mission from Jesus Christ himself, and it isn't enough for them because they keep trying and they keep trying to do all these things, and it's just making them hungry and tired. And so they have an abundance not of opulence and of just doing whatever they want to do, but they have an abundance of good things. And in either case, and in both cases, it leads to an exhaustion, a regret, and an emptiness. And so what I think Jesus is doing here in this passage is He's offering us something different. He's doing this miracle. It's a famous miracle. 
It's the only miracle that all four Gospels record for us. This is what really put Jesus on the map in terms of his popularity. I mean, he's already gaining in popularity, but when this happens, he's never able to escape the impact of this this, um, miracle. Why? Because then people keep coming to him. They think, oh, you are a bread machine. You can just make things uh, out of thin air. You can multiply things. And so they keep coming to Jesus, and they want that abundance. And Jesus keeps having to push them off. You're only hungry for the loaves. That's the only reason that you're here. And yet, he's teaching us at the same time, and very explicitly here, not about the miracle itself and about feeding all these people, but about how to be a disciple and be fed on him. He's teaching us a different way of abundance. That abundance comes not from us having something and not from us doing something even great for Him. It comes from being with Him and seeing what He does and His power that He multiplies. And so I think that this story is not about the people that He feeds here. Ultimately, that's kind of what I've always thought. But as coming to it again and reading it so many times this week, I feel like this story is about the disciples. It's about training them to see where abundance comes from. Here's what I want us to see this morning and what Jesus leads the disciples on this journey to see. You need to experience the emptiness of everything else in order order to experience the abundance of Jesus. You need to experience the emptiness of everything else in order to experience the abundance of Jesus. And it's what Jesus does in this passage. He He takes an empty group of men and he makes them more empty until they have to depend on him. It's a reminder from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Whatever bread that we seek, it's not enough. It's not enough to satisfy us, but what Jesus does, who is the word of God, that proceeds from the mouth of God, gives us that satisfaction. So what does he do with the disciples? First, he empties them and then he fills them. So first, let us look at this, this journey for the emptying, because the disciples hit rock bottom here. They come to him on empty, and then he takes them even further into emptiness. What are the disciples lacking? What are they short on? When they arrive on the scene, first, they're short on rest. They're short on rest. Look at verse 30. They returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. See, look at all we've done. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. The disciples are tired. They've been doing good ministry. They've had successful ministry. And so they come to Jesus who sent them on this mission. And now he's taking care of them. He's telling them to go and rest. Come to an empty place a desolate place, because you're tired. They're short on rest. They're short also on compassion. It becomes very apparent as Jesus has a different response than what we might imagine the disciples do. So this is the situation in verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So this is what happens. Jesus says, let's go away to a desolate place. Uh, Luke 
who also gives us the story, tells us that's in a region called Bethsaida. So they go to Bethsaida. They have to get there by boat. Well, they don't have to, but that's the quickest way in theory. And so they load onto a boat, and, and they go towards Bethsaida. So, but people see them, and they realize where they're going because of the direction. This is the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee is not... It's not really like a sea. It's like a big lake, actually. And it's, it's pretty big, but you can see to the other side. And so they see that they're, direct, they're heading towards Bethsaida, and they think, well, the Sea of Galilee is just a circle. <laughs> you know, so we can get there as well. We know where they're going. So they start walking around the lake. And as they go, on the lake shore, there's all these villages. And they start walking around, and as a crowd moves through, then, of course, everybody's asking, like, why is there a crowd? Why, where are you guys going? And they say, oh, we know where Jesus is. And so then the crowd gets bigger, and as they make that circuit around, we get 5,000 men, maybe upwards of eight to 10,000 people total. We don't know for sure, but there's this huge crowd that follows around to where Jesus is. And somehow, I don't know if the sails were not working or the wind was really low that day but they actually beat Jesus and the disciples there so that there's a huge crowd waiting for them when they come and you got to imagine how the disciples would perceive this Jesus just said come away with me and rest for a while and then they see like oh here's more work waiting for us right on the other side but Jesus responds with compassion in verse 34 it says that he sees them and he has compassion on them that's a, that Greek word there is just, it has to do with the stomach, right? It hit him in the gut when he saw all these people who needed him. The disciples are short on rest, they're short on compassion, they're short on patience. Verse 35, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, we can imagine through clenched teeth, um, you know, you didn't give, me, give us what you, what you promised, this rest. This is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy something themselves, to buy themselves something to eat. So you can see their impatience there, hidden under logic, which is what many of us do when we're hungry. They think they're being wise. Here's a, here's a good suggestion, Jesus. How about we get back to that original thing, that rest that you promised? Um, there's, nothing, there's no food here. Here's a good way to end the party. Um, let's just send them out to go get their own food. It seems like a logical and good thing to do. Because this is a, they say, a desolate place. And not realizing that they're talking for a moment to the God of the Bible. Whose story is over and over again providing for people in the wilderness in the desolate places, is exactly where God loves to lead His people to show His provision for them. Jesus has this patience, He has this compassion, and He has the rest in Himself. And the disciples are short on all of them. Whereas Jesus has space for others. We used to make fun of my mom, um, my mom, just a sweet southern lady, uh, lived all of her life except for five years in Mississippi. And, um, you know, it's, she's so kind, she's so forbearing that, like, it's almost an achievement to really make her mad, you know. And it's an achievement that I worked on, uh, you know, and achieved a, a few times in, 
my career as a child. And so if you could make her really mad, you must be really annoying. And um, so we, we did this a few times. We made my mom mad, and she would, you know, she would get to her limit. We would take her to her limit, and she would finally lose all compassion for us and let us know what she really thought. And, uh, and then, you know, inevitably, the phone would ring right in that moment when she's letting us have it, you know. And, um, and we would make fun of her because what she would do is walk to the phone. This is a home phone. If you're, if you're Gen Z, just ask your parents what that is. Um, but, like, she would walk to the home phone, and you know, she would pick it up. She would wait for a second, compose herself, smile, right? Hello? You know, it doesn't matter what she was saying before. She had this compassion for the person that was on the other line. And we used to make fun of her and say, oh, you're such a hypocrite, you know, for doing that. But it's not true. The truth is she had that compassion. That's not the other person's fault, right, that, that they called at that time. They didn't know that. And so when, we, when she was short on compassion for us, deservedly, she had that space for others. And that's exactly what Jesus is able to do. He sees how tired his disciples are and he's leading them to a desolate place, but it doesn't stop him from seeing the crowds that are in front of him and having compassion on them as well. He, he's doing this on purpose, by the way. He's leading these disciples into emptiness. He's showing them how short they are on rest, how short they are on patience and compassion. And then finally, he shows them how short they are on resources. And this is really where he sticks his finger in and makes them upset. Because what he tells them to their logical solution, you know, send them away. This is a desolate place. They can't be provided for. What he does is this. He says to them, you give them something to eat. I can almost feel myself in the disciples, but the disciples themselves just coming unglued at that point, right? Shows in the way that they responded to him, incredulous. You know, what are we going to do? We're going to go buy 200 denarii worth of food and feed all these people? What do you expect from us, Jesus? And they're echoing Moses there. This whole thing echoes the wilderness journey of, of Israel. And so they're echoing Moses and his lack of faith. And Jesus is going to be the true and better Moses in just a minute. But they're showing the, the side of Moses that lacked faith because when God um, met with Moses and, and the people were complaining about food, this is exactly what Moses said. He's like, where can I get meat for all of these people? All the fish in the sea wouldn't be enough. A little bit of hyperbole there, right? Like, there's no possible way when these people are crying out to me and they're hungry that I can do this. Of course, they can't. And what he's doing is he's showing them how short they really are. They're not just a little impatient. They're not just a little uncompassionate. They're not just a little tired. They're also completely unable to do the task that is in front of them. Even if they had the rest, even if they had the compassion and patience all day long, they would not be able to feed all of these people. They're unable to do it. They're short on resources. I love that this whole narrative, it just has like a hungry feel to it, doesn't it? Like, you know when you're hungry, right? These are all the things that happen when you're hungry. And the disciples come to Jesus, and what does it say? It says that they don't even have enough time to eat. That's how busy they've been. And so this whole time, they're hungry. And that makes sense to us, right? When is it the case that you eat a lot? When you're tired. 
That's when you're most likely to eat a lot. When is it the case that you're most likely to lose compassion or to not have patience with someone when you don't have food? That's when you're most likely to not have compassion and to be out of your league, unable to deal with things when you're hungry. And Jesus' first prescription is so counterintuitive. He doesn't say... So now just gorge yourselves. Good job. You've done, you've done enough ministry. Now just go and eat everything that you want and take a total break. Which is what we're likely to do. When we feel empty, we try to fill it as fast as possible. We do go to the luau, right? We do shopping therapy. We do workaholism. We do being the best at something. We try, when we feel that emptiness, it's like, I've got to find a prescription here to fill this. That's our first thing that we try to do. But Jesus actually takes them hungrier. He takes them to a place where they'll feel more empty. He takes them to a place of a desolate place. It's a, it's a weird kind of thing that he does seemingly at first. They're coming to him in need, and what he does is he says, you actually don't even know how needy you are. I'm going to show you how far your need has to go to be filled. And so he has the table set, so to speak, in this wilderness, because everybody is plenty hungry, and the, the food is set, but he has not allowed them to eat yet. And what he's doing with this is he's teaching them how empty they really are. You think that you're serving me. You think that you're doing something great for me. I'm going to take you to the emptiest place. I'm going to fill you. Um, I'm going to put you in this situation where you're already tired and hungry. I'm going to then surround you with tired and hungry and empty people spiritually and physically. And I'm going to empty out all of your compassion and patience. And then I'm going to ask something of you that is completely impossible for you to do. I'm going to make you so hungry that your only answer is to turn to me for satisfaction. Because Jesus is the bread of heaven. And man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by what proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus is the Word of God who proceeds from the mouth of God. And He satisfies alone. And so what He's telling the disciples here and He's telling us this morning is that you've got to evaluate whatever is filling you. You've got to think about it. And there's different things for different people. And some of you feel really satisfied or you think you're going to be really satisfied when you reach a certain level of financial freedom or of a number in your account and you think that when you arrive at that place or at that career that will provide that then there will be this, this satisfaction that comes to you. Others are more not oriented towards that. You're more oriented towards people, and you just want to be around people who love you and accept you and want the best for you, and you just long for that community, and you long to be known. And so you think that if that were to happen, then every, it doesn't matter whatever else. If that were to happen for me, then I would be full. Some of you want attach it to position or prominence, or arrival, or retirement, or any number of things, you've got to ask yourself, what is the bread 
Man doesn't live by bread alone. Those things will not satisfy you. Whatever bread is to you is whatever you think will fill you, but it is a false abundance. You'll never catch up. You'll never catch up. Being empty is necessary for salvation. Because as long as you believe that you'll be satisfied outside of what Jesus offers, you will be lost from Him. As long as you believe that it's, it's, it's Him plus something else that will bring true satisfaction in my life, then you're not understanding who Jesus is or what He comes to do. And so it's necessary to get to the empty place. It's necessary to evaluate what fills you. It's necessary to get to the point where Jesus sticks His finger in and says, you don't have the resources to do what you need to do. You can't be a good enough husband. You can't be a good enough wife. You can't make enough money. You cannot do anything for people that will make them love you so much so that you will be satisfied. You have to get to the place where you say, as the disciples did, we can't. And that's when Jesus fills them. And he fills the whole group. This is the filling. After the emptying comes the filling. Because he knows, just as well as they do, that they can't do it. They can't even feed themselves. They need him. And so he gives them of his abundance. And that is the answer. So how do we partake of Jesus' abundance? How do we find that hope in Him? How, do we, or how are we filled in Him? I want to give us three things as we close today and we finish out the story. First, you have to find satisfaction in Him. You have to find satisfaction in Him. This is when Jesus takes over. Verse 38. After He's led them to a place of emptiness, this is what He does. And He said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. What Jesus does here when he takes over the situation and he gets these, this bread and fish and then he multiplies it, what he's doing is he, is he is in a very amazing way looking backwards and he's looking forwards to bring them to this place of satisfaction in him. First, he looks backwards to Israel. We've already referenced it. He here is Moses in the wilderness providing for the people. In fact, there's tons of Hence, in the story that this, this is exactly the fulfillment of this passage because we're told that they, they've gone to a desolate place just like Israel was taken out into the wilderness. They want bread. They need bread. They need provision just like Israelites did and they cried out to God and He gave them manna. He gave them bread from heaven to satisfy them. Even the way that Jesus divides up the people into groups the 50s and 100s, the way that this would have laid out would have looked like the Israelite camp surrounding the, the tabernacle where God's presence resided. And so what he does is he, he makes this group of people surround him because he is the tabernacle. 
And he leads them into the promised land, which is to know him. It looks backwards to, to Israel. Of course, it looks forward as well. Look at the verbs in verse 40, uh, verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Took, blessed, broke, gave. Where have you heard these words before? You hear them every week here. As we come to the Lord's Supper, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave to his disciples. He blessed it. And so what he's doing is he's showing not only is, am I the fulfillment, the satisfaction of Israel, the true promised land, the true presence of God, the story, what the story requires. I'm also going to take you to another level where I'm going to feed you beyond what these bread and loaves symbolize for Israel. I'm going to give you myself where it's going to be my body that's broken and distributed to you all for your life for your satisfaction. He wants us to be satisfied in Him, to taste and see of Him how good He is. If you come to Me, I will give you bread from heaven. Isn't it interesting that Jesus divides up these groups to sit down around Him and this tells us there's a green grass there, kind of a Psalm 23 reference. He prepares the table in the presence of his enemies, so to speak. He lays out this this feast before them. This is actually a feast. The word groups there, when he divides them into groups, is the same word that's used about the the seat assignments at a dinner party in Jesus' parables, who are sitting around at these large tables prepared. So what Jesus is referencing here is this. It's It's a dinner party. In the desert, in the desolate place. I'm changing the tagline of our church to a dinner party in the desert. It's pretty good, huh? Because Phoenix is a desert in many ways, (laughs) more ways than one, right? And it's part of why we have parties. Is because, you know, if you look at this gospel, and even in particular the gospel of Luke, you see Jesus just going and eating and drinking places, and he's bringing the dinner party to the desert. In all these different places, in all these desolate places, he's showing up and providing abundance. So that people will see that the good life, the satisfying life, is found only in him. So first, you need to find your satisfaction in him. Second, You need to find power in Him. Verse 38, He said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. I love that Jesus says this. He doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say to them, All right, you can't do it. Stand back. You know, I'm about to make this happen and just out of nowhere, bread. You know, that's what Satan in many ways tempts him to do when he says, You know, make this bread. Jesus is not a conjurer of cheap tricks. He's not here to like impress people. What he does is he says, what do you have? What do you have? Is he able 
from thin air? Of course, he's able. But that's not the way that he works. And so it's very encouraging to think about where the power for this comes from. It doesn't come from us, but Jesus often starts with what we have. He asks us, what do you have? You know, I can work with that. I can work with that. It's very encouraging to think about. And maybe you have a two-fish kind of faith this morning, or a five-loaf kind of prayer life, or whatever you might evaluate your spirituality with. It's just small. You have the, the faith of a mustard seed. And it's very encouraging to think, well, Jesus is asking us, what do you have? And you start there with what you have, and then you ask Him to multiply it. You ask Him to expand it. You don't try to make it more abundant than it is by itself. And you can identify where He's at work in your life, what He's doing, what relationships He's given you, what work environment He's given you. You can see what you have and ask Him to multiply it. That's the way that He loves to work. And so you need to see that not just your satisfaction, but even the power to do what you need to do comes from Him. It comes from His multiplying power. Third, you need to find your purpose in Him. Because this is what Jesus is, I think, ultimately teaching the disciples. Is He's saying, you've gone out and you've done a lot of ministry in My name, but it exhausted you. And yet here, even when they're angry and tired and uncompassionate, He gives them jobs to do. They're the ones who distribute the bread. They're the ones who pick up the 12 baskets that are left over. Another reference there to the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the abundance of God. He had so much, He had leftovers. And yet He gives them this job to do to pick up the leftovers. And so, He's teaching them, of course, that like me, you can grow into compassion with other people. You don't have to let your hunger or your situations or whatever it is that you're feeling at the moment be the dictator ultimately of how you treat other people. In fact, what he's doing is he's creating a lot of disciples in this world who are abundant kind of people. And that's what we should be. We should be abundant people. People who have leftovers for others. People who don't spend everything we have for ourselves and our own satisfaction, but actually have more. Let me brag just for a second on our administrator, uh, Carolyn, who's out of town on our camping trip right now. But I asked her if I could tell, tell the story, and she said yes. So she, when she came uh, and started working for the church, we were in a uh, desolate place, you might say. So this was a couple of years ago. Our church plant was not doing well, and... You know, we were considering lots of different things, and we had just landed the spot in Hope Women's Center where we met for a while, um, and it was kind of a, it was a replant situation. We were replanting this church, and I just got this email. I was feeling discouraged about, I made a list. It was literally 170-something things long that I wanted to do for this relaunch, and that week when I made that list, Carolyn emailed me, and she said, I have 10 hours extra. I would like to donate to the church. Um, is there anything that I could do to help you? Um, and I, I forwarded her that list. It's amazing. Who has that kind of abundance, right? I'm not saying you have to have that kind of abundance in your schedule, that you have to have 10 hours a week. I'm saying that impulse towards I have extra is, is, is what Jesus is creating in us. And of course, we hired her after that, right? Because that's the kind of people we want to have on our team. Abundant people. 
And so the disciples are learning how to be abundant people, how to not just work and work and work for themselves and then collapse, but in fact how to have an abundance for others and a compassion for others. But look, the, the order of these is very important. Because Jesus, even though He's teaching them how to be abundant people, first and foremost, He's teaching them how to be satisfied in Him. Because without satisfaction in Him and without dependence on His power, the first two things, you aren't able to become an abundantly purposeful person in Him. You will just get exhausted. And so... What you have to constantly remind yourself of is, even though he's teaching me abundance and I should serve other people and I should be aware of needs and all of those things, it will fall flat as long as you're not drawing on the power and drawing on the satisfaction of Jesus Christ. He must first and foremost be the bread of heaven to you. He must be something that's so satisfying and so powerful in your life that you are, you are able to release the the effects or the um, whatever effectiveness may happen in it for other people. We don't start with being abundant people towards other people. Because if we do that, it will be in our own power. And then we'll need, we'll need to do what the disciples did. We'll need to go back with him and go to a desolate place. So that we can then again see where abundance comes from. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from what we can buy. It doesn't come from what we can do and serve. It doesn't come from the reputations that we can create for ourselves. It comes from knowing and being close to Jesus Christ and allowing him to feed us. Let's pray.